All right, welcome back to the Prospecting Show. Today is Tuesday, March 30th. We've got Ed Vincent from Festival Pass on the call. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing today? I'm doing good. So just before the call here, we're just talking about a, a move that you did. So before we kick it off, I, you know, I'd love to talk about your business and what you guys offer, but tell us about this New York to Texas move that you just did, because that's actually a huge change. Yeah, so uh, I don't want to be just a, a me too, because it seems like there's a lot of people, especially in the tech business, going from either New York or San Francisco to Austin. But about seven months ago, I just uh, decided that it was time to move, picked up, uh, left New York City, I've been there downtown for 23 years, and uh, and made my way out to Austin. So uh, I've been here about seven months now and loving it. Yeah, I was gonna say, you. we were just kind of joking around, you get a lot more house in, in Texas and maybe a little bit uh, better weather. So tell us about you though, like how did you come up with Festival Pass, right? Obviously people have a past, a present and a future. We'll talk about the future later, but what did you do to come up with this idea? How did this start? How did you build this company? You know, tell us about the journey. Yeah, so, so you're absolutely right. Everything has context. Um, so I've been an entrepreneur for over 20 plus years. I was a banker uh, up until 1999, started my first e-commerce company in 99, sold that in 2001. So it was part of the internet 1.0 uh, craziness. Um, then through the 2000s, I had a about a 70 person uh, agency, an experiential agency. And that was kind of the uh, first introduction to like big scale live events. Um, we helped launch uh, numerous film festivals like the Vail Film Festival and worked with Sonoma Valley Film Festival. We even owned one down in the Dominican Republic. We had uh, something called the Dominican International Film Festival that we owned. <clears throat> we did things like helping Maxim Magazine uh, brand a hotel down in the DR uh, and a lot of other big, uh, bringing big brands into, into large events. Um, so that was, you know, I really got excited about what a live event is. It's a, it's a single place, single time that you can't recreate. It's a moment in time. Um, moved on a little bit uh, after that, had a SaaS business uh, in the franchise and multi-unit space, sold that in 2014. And then for the last five, six years, I had founded a company called Predict Analytics, which was a uh, data consultancy and a software platform in the entertainment space. So big brands like A&E Networks, AMC Networks, Course Entertainment out of Canada, which you might know, I hear you're a Canadian. Um, and. Uh, <laughs> bunch of other companies that sell ads in movie theaters. And, and along that journey, um, there was a company called MoviePass, which a lot of people heard of, uh, that had kind of a meteoric uh, rise and, and fall. But uh, they had asked me to come in and, and uh, take, a, take a role as their interim chief data officer. Uh, and in that process, I learned a lot about subscription marketplaces um, for the good or the bad, uh, you know, MoviePass had some some issues along the way, and uh, and realized there's there was a business model that wasn't appropriate for what they were trying to pull off, but realized that there are other great models that work well. So uh, as I think I mentioned earlier in our intro, uh, you know, Festival Pass is is Airbnb meets ClassPass for live events. And uh, in that process, I realized that the live events business globally, it's a $200 billion uh, industry. And there are a couple big players in the United States, like Live Nation, AEG and others. But globally, those big players only represent 15% or about that of the overall market. Hmm. And whenever you have a disparate marketplace like that with lots of players, uh, a marketplace is a, is a strong business model to approach it. 
Yeah, it's interesting. Like you, you talk about kind of your journey and having these different entrepreneurial um, visions and, and executing. It sounds like you got some exits or you know sales roll ups, whatever they were that you were able to to run through. Like, what is it like when you have an idea, you execute the idea so well that you do get an exit or an offer or roll up or whatever it is that happens? A bit like, how do you how do you exit and then come up with another idea like that? Because that always blows my mind. Here, like you talked about like five different things there back to back. Sure. So. So like? interesting from an entrepreneur's perspective, there's there's a balance, right? There's a service-based business that usually is great for cash flow, but not as scalable and sellable. And then you have software-driven businesses that take a lot of upfront lift, a lot of investment and a lot of growth to even be worth something to sell. So, you know, it's interesting to go through that balance, right? So the e-commerce company was a software-driven company, then at an agency, uh, then I went back to software, then I went back to a service-based company, and now I'm back in the software business. So it's a, it's an interesting piece. And I think every time I go back into the service business or had been in the service business, it's a, it's a fun business, good for general cash flow, um, but it's hard to truly scale a service business. Um, so I always go back to my first love, which is the hard thing, which is uh, software. Yeah, and it's interesting, like the front loading versus back loading too, right? Like our, our businesses are, are mostly service based. We have a little bit of software in what we do, but the 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 service business is like every day you got to like do stuff, right? Like yeah. whether you're building a better part of the service, but you also like people, you need people all the time. And the software side, it's like right now we're rolling out a new um, white label environment for one of our softwares. And it's like the lift is tremendous on the front side where it's like, oh my goodness, we got to bring all these people over the platform, yeah. get them all in. Oh, 1700 different bugs let's fix all those but i feel like the the light at the end of the tunnel is coming so when you're when you're working on these projects right and you you have the SaaS side then you have the service side and you kind of jump back and forth like what do you recommend for people just generically for people who are trying to be you know entrepreneurs and build ideas do you recommend they start with one or the other or both like what's your take on that well it depends on their expertise it depends on the the idea and uh and what the product market fit is um, so, you know, not a lot of people that might be good in an agency or a service-based or consulting-based business, um, you know, would be the ideal candidate for a SaaS or software-based business. So it's really a totally different business to run. Yeah, skill set, skill set's definitely different and, and also having the right uh, personality types, you know, and, and, and right, like you said, the right vision, product market fit, having all that in place is definitely important. What, when you came up with Festival Pass and started working through that, what was the idea, like ideation? Like, how'd you go through that and kind of come up with the, the last piece of it? Like, this is the thing we're going to sell. Talk talk to us a bit about that and what you deliver. Yeah, so so in that process of uh, sitting at Movie Pass, I realized that there is a strong um, kind of a millennial approach, if you will, to subscription-based businesses that deliver value. Um, so, so there wasn't an issue in understanding if there was a potential um, audience for what we're building, right? So I looked at it and I said, okay, live events are huge. Um, $200 billion business, 75 million people in 2019 went to some kind of concert or festival uh, in the US alone. Um, the millennial, uh, the millennial um, desire to spend their discretionary income on experiences over over hard goods was ripe for um, you know for, for an obvious product market fit. Um, the hard part then is to try and decide well how do you build that value and what uh, what business model works right. So I saw the business models that didn't work 
Um, and then I realized the ones that do. And uh, I could speak for hours on the dynamics of a marketplace. So I don't want to bore your, your audience on that, but there's, you know, when you think of a marketplace, you can think of Uber or Lyft. Those are uh, homogeneous inventory, meaning it's the same product. Uh, you really don't care if it's a Toyota Camry or a Honda driving you as long as you get from sure. point A to point B in a clean car. Mm-hmm. Whereas Airbnb is a heterogeneous inventory where every single piece uh, that is on that platform is different. You might have a, a tree house in Santa Barbara or a chalet in France, they're different, right? So the, hmm. the problem that exists in a subscription-based model is when you have heterogeneous inventory versus homogeneous inventory, it's very difficult to execute it on a homogeneous level unless you have your own currency. And that was the next step where I learned that ClassPass, and that's why I bring them up, is about four years ago, they realized that they had all the same problems MoviePass did early on, where how do I deliver an, uh, um, an unlimited product for a flat monthly fee? Not easy to do when you have heterogeneous inventory. How do you deliver three times a month, four times a month for a flat fee? Not easy to do. So uh, by turning it into a credit-based currency, they were able to get gross margin positive on every transaction, which stabilized their unit metrics, which then allowed them to grow to 30 countries and now they're worth a couple billion dollars. Um, so coming out of the gate, I realize there's a better model for what I'm trying to do and it's never been really done before in the live event space. Um, so it was less about just being a cool brand for festivals. It was more about finding that, threading the needle of what the right underlying model is to ensure that we can be gross margin positive on every transaction, therefore allowing us the right unit economics so that when we scale, um, we're always going to be making money. Yeah. And, and are you guys based U.S. only right now or multiple countries? You talked about internal versus external on, on the U.S. Well, what's that look like from a market cap or, or you know exploratory phase right now? Yeah. So we're U.S. based now. Um, we do have plans to go to Europe and then, uh, and then Asia and Latin America. Um, but really, it's about getting enough mass distribution here in the U.S. first, um, ensuring we're, we got the product right here. Uh, and then we, we already have partners that, it, that we're going to uh, work with as we first expand to Europe. Yeah. And, and so what has been like one of the more difficult things? Is it finding the events to actually put on the platform? Is it building the software tech? Is it getting customers? Like there's you're balancing so many different things at the same time. It sounds like what what do you think is the hardest part of what you guys are doing? Yeah, it's uh, just like any marketplace. You are absolutely right. You need both sides of the market. right? You need consumers and you need inventory. Um, so the the challenge, the biggest challenge is to do that in, you know, like a seesaw. So you need enough people in one area and then enough events in one area so that that root density marketplace is satisfied. And then you and then we're attempting to kind of replicate that in many, many markets and eventually get to the place where it's nationwide so that, you know, no matter where you are in the United States, not just Austin, not just New York, not just L.A., uh, you're, you'll want to join the platform because you're always going to find something to do. Got it. And the model of the platform again is a monthly subscription based system. Is that correct? It is. So, so the users, they'll pay, I mean, you can join free and, uh, and be a free member, which gives you some value, um, and the ability to do a bunch of things on the platform and discover events. But, uh, if you want to actually redeem credits for tickets, you'll pay anywhere from $9 a month up to $99 a month. And, uh, each, each one allows you to get a certain amount of credits and then you could redeem those credits for thousands of events. So, you know, a, a week long, weekend long festival that might traditionally be a couple hundred bucks, 
might be 150 credits, whereas a, a small uh, Guinness and Oyster, you know, three hour food and wine event in Williamsburg, New York might be 10 credits. Interesting. So there's an accredited, there's a credit system applied to the event type based on the size and the, all the parameters of that event. And, and so all the, the dollars are converted to credits and the credits are used to, to purchase the, the different events basically. Yep. Is that yep. correct? Think about the old days of, of sure. the arcade. You, you go in and you, you put 20 bucks into the token machine, you get some tokens. A uh, pinball machine might cost one token, but a, a cool shoot 'em up game or a driving game costs four. Interesting. Wow, this is very fascinating. So, so with the the work that you're doing right now, what does the future look like? Like, obviously, last year was kind of a crazy year with with COVID, and I mean, I guess maybe even partly this year, where events were were down a little bit. It seems like more than more events are coming back up. I know in Pittsburgh here, um, the the hockey uh, arena just started opening up like a month ago, and people are starting to trickle in, and you know, vaccines are rolling out, and people are starting to it's starting to open up a little bit. What's the next, uh, let's say, year look like for you guys with everything? starting to open up again yeah sure so we're super excited right so for the last year we've been building a bunch of infrastructure to be able to take uh take access to uh or be ready for you know what we call the roaring 20s that are about to happen um where everybody's going to be coming back and going to events there's 1.3 trillion dollars worth of savings sitting on the sideline for people that haven't used it for travel or for restaurants or for vacations or for events. Um, so there's a there's a lot of discretionary income, at least within a certain part of the population. I know some people are struggling pretty bad, but um, sure. certain population, there's a lot of savings and discretionary income on the table. Um, there's a ton of events coming back. I was just talking to somebody earlier today where traditionally, you know, some of the big guys might do, you know, 20 to 22 uh, major music tours at the same time throughout the country. And now uh, they're expecting double that coming out uh, of the, the second half of 2021 and 2022, because every music artist wants to go on tour. They've just been sitting in there. They've been sitting around for a year and they just want to get out. Yeah, so, well, that, that's that's a perfect way to look at it, too, because they're almost doubling down on 2020. Plus, we're, you know, we'll probably be halfway into 2021 by the time those really start rolling out with the summer. So now it's like, 18 months of stuff that are probably the next 18 months are gonna have to double down if not more um i think even john mayer released a record and he hasn't released anything in <laughs> a long time yeah. so that when he releases it you know that they've been quiet for a while because he's a tour guy and not not much of a writer uh anymore but that's funny you bring that up because people are going to be starting starting to to make up that time what is the um the future look like like i know you're talking about you know the, the the near term you know the next 12 months 18 months from a vision standpoint what other things are you going to be adding to the platform what other kind of features or or vision do you have let's say over the next five years yep so uh one of one of the things we're really trying to build right the, the ultimate vision is ticketing has always been transactional uh, i'm not gonna say anything negative about the ticketing companies that are out there but you know uh, people get a little sick of going to buy a ticket and then getting charged 20 bucks on the way out for a service fee. That's not consumer friendly. It's not uh, It's not a brand affinity. Um, I don't know many ticketing companies that everybody says I love them. Um, so what we're trying to do is build a kind of a social friction, frictionless experience. So people can actually in the, in the art of being part of a community and acquiring admission or tickets to events, they can uh, have a very social experience. So some of the features um, when people can connect within Festival Pass uh, within the next couple of months, they'll be able to go see any event on the platform and immediately see how many of the other friends are already going to that event. Um, so, you know, if I take a look from Austin and I know ACL, which is Austin City Limits is happening in October, 
uh, and I, I can look and 20 of my friends are already going, I'm going to be more likely to say, yeah, I want to go to that. Um, I also want to not want to, we're also creating the ability for a lot of other value, right? So the ability to redeem your credits for lots of things. So yes, live events. We have a travel partner where people will be able to come in and, and book a hotel room for 20, 30% less than they can find anywhere else on the internet because they're a member and we're allowed to get cheaper pricing uh, because we're a membership organization. Um, you know, it goes on and on. So, you know, I, anywhere we can provide value where people can get a VIP experience or they can get first access to a show or even virtually, you know, some of the artists that we're potentially talking to might, you know, provide a unique experience where they can pop on and, you know, do a virtual meet and greet, if you will, for everybody that follows them within the Festival Pass platform. Yeah, well, that's interesting because you're bringing a social component to it now too, right? You're taking care of some of that like ticketing components, some of the credit-based systems, showing, you know, the social component of it, driving costs yeah. down, going to a membership. Like it's very... It sounds very, very uh, disruptive uh, long-term, which is a good thing, obviously, as you're building out your like fifth or sixth company that you're working on here, which is great. Um, we, you know, in the next, uh, let's say 10 years, do you see this being something that's adopted beyond just like events? Will this become commonplace thing? Like I've noticed a lot of, you know, restaurants, for example, like people are, because they weren't going out, everyone was ordering food on all these different food apps, right? Um, you look at the rideshare services, those went up and then down and then back up again. Like, do you see this being kind of like commonplace now for people that when they do events, they're going to use something like Festival Pass to, to just book everything instead of going directly to the counter? Yeah, I mean, I, what, what I think is uh, having the ability to, you know, even for especially the millennial set, and it could be millennials and, you know, Gen Z as well. I don't know. Uh, how deep you go into the psyche of the way they consume and purchase. But there's a there's a real big concept where, um, you know, they like to budget and they like to say, hey, you know what? I love live events, whether it's a sporting event, theater, whatever it is. But, you know, sometimes I don't budget for it and all of a sudden it costs 150 bucks. I'm not sure I can afford that. But if I know that I'm just going to constantly pay $49 a month and it's part of my budget, just like your phone bill, just like everything else, I'll always have it and my credits will continue to roll over and I'll start discovering new things. And once I have that ability, I can look at it and say, hey, you know, I have a couple hundred credits on the platform and it's Wednesday night and I'm sitting in New York City and I pop open the Festival Pass app and I look at it and I'm like, cool, I can go to a movie that costs eight credits. I can go to a Broadway show that costs 50. I could go whatever. And I, I have this ability, I have like a mini bank account I can apply to this service. And to your point is once that once the money has already been uh, budgeted for there's so many cool things we can do right it's really easy from a technology standpoint when you generate a barcode for an admission for a ticket the same barcode can buy you a drink right so i can simply be at the bar at x theater uh, a broadway theater and be like oh yeah i want to i want a beer right okay a beer six credits great beep just like you do at starbucks and you get you get your drink and you move on and having the ability to create that process that is global so you know starbucks does a great job and i envision our app to eventually have similar capabilities where you know for us it'll be credits but for starbucks i don't know how often if you've ever used it um you know it's i want a dollar drink. based yeah dollar based but i got 20 bucks on my starbucks app mm -hmm. and i'm standing outside of starbucks and a dunkin donuts and i don't have my wallet which one am i going to starbucks yeah 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 wow that that's an interesting 
uh, way to look at it too, because I think the credit system is one of the pieces that will make you guys stand out long-term because there's lots of apps that have that dollar-based thing or like a premium subscription with a dollar-based component or like discount kind of stuff that happens. But this credit system is kind of unique too, because I think the, like you talked about the psyche of individuals when they buy at the consumer level, which is a little bit different than the business level, but at the consumer level, there's not always this one-to-one relationship of like, hey, it's X amount of dollars. If you convert it to credits, I think people a lot of times don't necessarily know um, they'll, they'll maybe overspend, which is good and bad, right? People like to have a good time, but they also will change their, their spending behaviors because they can't look at it in terms of dollars and cents. And to your point, if they're putting dollars away every single month on the app because it's subscription-based, then they build up this uh, this rollover credit system that they can use whenever they want. And if you know if, if uh, they have six months off or they don't do anything, they, they've built up that credit base. And financially, it probably is actually safer for a lot of people because the dollars have already been spent you know, months ago and they're not blown out $300 on a single night at something that they can't actually afford. So that's really interesting. And, and what's the website again for people to go to if they want to learn more or download the app? What's the best way for them to get that? Sure. Super easy. Festivalpass.com. Um, you'll be able to go there. You can sign up for free. Uh, even if you're not ready to become a paid member yet, you can sign up for free. You can earn free credits by telling your friends about it. Um, and you know, when you're ready to go to an event, you can upgrade to a paid subscription. Awesome. So for everyone who's listening to the prospecting show here, festivalpass.com, check it out there. It's, it's actually kind of a cool website. And I think going forward, um, you know, most of the people that listen to the show are under 45 years old right now. And so they kind of fit into this like millennial, like kind of, you know, going backwards towards Gen Z and all that. This is going to be one of those opportunities where I think I, I, I have a pleasure of speaking to you on the show, but I think, you know, in five years from now, it's going to be really neat to be like, hey, I know this guy. <laughs> you know what I mean? Great, great app, so. um, festivalpass.com. Uh, thank you, Ed, for jumping on the prospecting show and have a great rest of the day. You too. Thanks, Ben.